What is Snooze Flip? Snooze Flip is one of the most universal mattresses on the planet. You can customize your sleep experience to fit your needs. One side is soft, one side is firm, and you can flip it to the side that fits your body best. The cover is also reversible, with one side up to 5 degrees cooler and cozy warm on the other side. This zippable cover makes the Snooze Flip a true 4-in-1 mattress. Don't stress through shopping hundreds of beds online. Snooze Flip has all the features in one and Snooze will ship it straight to your door. The mattress expands faster than most. You can be sleeping on your new mattress on the same day as delivery. There's a YouTube video of us unpacking Allie and RK's mattress in the bar. Check it out. When you are a part of Snooze Sleep, you are a part of a community, just like the DNVR community. No exaggeration, a community of go-getters, hustlers, athletes, entrepreneurs, the people who need to energize their bodies so they can wake up feeling amazing the next day and conquer their biggest dreams and goals. Finally, Snooze Sleep is locally based. We know how much you love supporting our local partners. The thing is, Snooze is made by Colorado, designed for the world. You can all take advantage of a new Snooze Flip mattress that gets delivered straight to your door and Snooze Sleep is hooking you up. Use the code DNVR and receive $250 off a mattress and $250 off with an adjustable base. That's $500 worth of savings on a queen mattress with an adjustable base. The dual split king savings are up to $1,000 with an adjustable base. $1,000. Guys, head to snoozesleep.com and grab your Snooze Flip mattress today. That's snoozesleep.com. And again, make sure you're using the code DNVR for the big time savings and, you, and get it shipped straight to your door. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another edition of the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. We've got the whole crew here. It's, um, it's a somber morning in the Mile High City. Unfortunately, Demarius Thomas passed away at 33 years old. Really tough. So we're just going to kind of talk about his legacy with the team. Yeah, one of the most underappreciated players in franchise history, in my opinion. Then we'll kind of transition, talk about the, the conference championship, biggest risers. And then we will kind of preview the, the draft class as a whole and just talk about where the strengths are. Dre, this was your idea, so I'll, I'll throw it to you first. I mean, I, I don't even know where to begin. Like, what, do, what comes to mind when you think of Demarius Thomas? Yeah, I think, um, I think two things really stand out in their conversations that we have had constantly on this podcast. Um, and it really comes down to evaluating uh, character, which is um, obviously such a struggle but is also such a reason for the outpouring of uh, condolences and love towards Demarius Thomas, easily one of the greatest um, in-house draft picks of all time in Broncos history um, on the short list of greatest first rounders all time. It's like him, Vaughn, Steve Hatwater. Um, and then you're kind of going into a next tier. I think Floyd Little also falls in that category. <clears throat> But, you know, of course, so many of the first balladers in franchise history, John Elway, Peyton, Champ Bailey, were all, um, you know, acquired through trade or free agency with Peyton. Um, that's not the case with DT. And I think that there, there are so many great draft lessons to be taken from him. And I mentioned character. I think also the, uh, the injury label. He is one of the prime examples of how a couple bad stretches of health do not define you 
as injury prone um, because he was able to overcome that and then become a true Ironman, 132 consecutive games until that streak was broken, um, I guess, uh, in his second season, in his first full season with the Texans. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to get into that and I'm coming kind of rambling here, but I I guess I'll introduce the topic this way. Um, Demarius Thomas, you know, he's such a great part of that era where two of the greatest wide receivers come from a triple option offense, him and Megatron. Um, he, he never gets to run a 40 because he's injured. He's recovering from, is it an Achilles during the draft? or an ACL. Um, so you can't run a 40. And of course, for a player with kind of a one-year wonder and uh, limited opportunities and targets, that's a big deal. But he's still drafted ahead of Des Bryant, who drops into the 20s and is not even the first wide receiver taken. And also a very important 2010 draft. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. But I think What I would get into is how not if you read his background, if you read his scouting report and how he had two of the most important, the two most important people in his life incarcerated when he's drafted, when he's going through his formative years. uh, And and yet, you know, just reading that label, you think, oh, maybe this is a character problem. He was the exact opposite. And I think that's a big part aside from his freakish talent, which I want to get into now. Um, which was why he was selected ahead of Des Bryant and is why he had the kind of career he had, the kind of longevity he had, uh, just his character above all those other amazing traits is really what made him a true phenom. Jake? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Dre pretty much nailed it there. Um, it's It's... It's kind of lost its luster now because Georgia Tech isn't the same program as it was 10 years ago or shoot, even five years ago or so. But being a first round receiver out of a triple option offense is an unbelievable feat and something that is probably going to kind of get washed away as the years go by now. Um, But Demarius was just an absolute freak. He was one of my, I mean, this, he came into the league, I was still in high school. So this is before I really got into the draft and everything, but just since that time, he was one of my favorite players, especially in the Broncos and just in all of the NFL, um, of course, instrumental to that magical era in the mid 2010s where him and Peyton and Welker, Decker, all these guys were just going off. Um, I tweeted about it yesterday. One of my favorite Demarius moments. though, is in that Super Bowl 48 uh, against the Seahawks where practically no one showed up. And Demarius Thomas shows up, goes off for 13 catches, 118 yards, scores the only touchdown. Um, I'm pretty sure he did that on a separated shoulder that game too. So just an absolute freak, a guy that never got enough credit um, when he was playing at the peak of his power in Denver. Um, It's just a very sad event. Yeah, it is crazy. It's just so weird that he went to Georgia Tech. Like that whole storyline, to go from that to number one receiver taken, just absurd he had an offer to georgia like like i i I mean it's it's, i hope somebody at some point asked him like what what was going through your mind in that process to say i'm georgia tech is the spot for me as a receiver but just i mean to go there to to block and be that sort of role player and then get to the nfl and then slowly become a star i don't know it just like it's the a great story you know that's what you want to see is that somebody who comes from that sort of system who isn't playing that style of football gets to turn into the 
the superstar. And maybe that's why he wasn't a diva. Like that's the other thing. It's so rare is getting a receiver. Who's that good. Who isn't just constantly driving you insane. I, I, there's a lot of reasons that receivers switch teams, but I think that you can get caught up in, well, they're so replaceable. There's so many of them out there, blah, 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 blah. There's also the fact that they wear you down. There's, there's, I mean, for all the great things that Emmanuel Sanders did, he, (laughs) he gets to the point where it's just like, wow, this is a lot. And for Demarius to just be kind of a steadying force at that position I mean, I guess it's something we've been lucky to have as Bronco fans with Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey and some of those guys. But just, I mean, what more could you ask for? I mean, he's a prototype receiver. He's among the best in the league. He's a good person on top of that. He's leading in the locker room. He's he's doing all the things that you could possibly want out of him. And I, I mean, what else is there to say? He's He was a monster. I will add that, I mean, he he was a bit of a one-year wonder in terms of mass production at the collegiate level, but yeah. I'm pretty sure Georgia Tech had like 1,600 passing yards and he had 1,200 of them. So yeah. he, he did have substantial, you know, eye-popping type production in, in terms of what they were doing. He was their passing offense. Without yes. Demarius Thomas, they didn't have a passing offense. 25.1 yard average per catch in that junior season where he had 1,200. And he has eight touchdowns. Um, So he's blocking his ass off and he's doing all that. It's like, crazy. And what a great example of why traits matter, right? We're not just bullshitting when we say uh, you can teach route running. What a great example DT is. You can learn route running. You can learn to be a technician and work with one of the greatest in Peyton Manning and figure that stuff out. The stuff that really matters is being an absolute hoss like he was. Um, just like ungodly traits. Ungodly, man. And he wouldn't... He wouldn't shake you necessarily, but he had such like smooth. He could pick move it. It was fluid. Yes. And he he does that stuff, Jake. We talk about with like rugs or the tight end at Georgia, where it's like these dudes just run away from people in ways that look different. Like it bends. Like it's it's kind of like Vaughn. The way that he can turn that corner. It's the same, like your body should not be able to go from this direction to that direction, but just that. It's, it's weird to watch. It's fun to watch. Um, and the other thing, like, yes, the traits matter, but you, you have to have the attitude to learn yeah. on top of that to yeah. make them matter. And that's, I mean, we've said it plenty of times, but that's just who Demarius is, was, is just a really good, high-character guy who wanted to learn, who wanted to put the effort in. And that combined with those traits turns you into a however many time Pro Bowl receiver. Yeah, I'm trying to look it up right now. I can't remember what year exactly it was, but there was a game um, where the Cardinals came to Denver. And DT, he should have set the... Yeah, yeah, something like that. He should have set the single-game receiving record in that game. I think he had something like 230 yards and like two or three touchdowns, and he had another like 80-yard touchdown that was wiped away. Um, And you talk about that separation. He was running away just from Antonio Cromartie, who was one of the fastest guys in the league back then. He was an absolute beast at his peak, man. Um, Rest in peace, man. I was at that game. That was one of the more fun home Broncos games in terms of, it was like a September or early October game. It didn't mean a whole lot. You're playing an NFC team, but the Broncos just came out and and laid a whooping on him. Um, 
real quick, I just want to kind of share a, a Demarius Thomas story. When the Broncos beat the Patriots in that infamous overtime game in, in 2015 with the C.J. Anderson run, a snow game. I was sitting down in the first row right by the Broncos bench, and a, a lot of the players, like, they came over, they were running. You know, Brock Osweiler came, and he high-fived us. That was his first career start. Everybody's all in the, in the Brockweiler mania. And Demarius Thomas actually tossed me a pair of gloves and I still have them. It's, it's one of the, well, honestly, like one of my most cherished possessions just because that night was so special. That season was so fun. Yeah. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm never going to forget watching him. He was, he was incredible. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, there are guys that make you fall in love with this sport and we talk about traits, but, um, you really love players because of their style and how they look. Uh, he just looked the way wide receivers don't look. I remember watching him his rookie season. You know, his first game, he goes off for like 90 yards, gets a tud. Never really repeats that. That rookie season gets injured, only has like 255 yards. But the first time you saw him, it was like, holy shit, this guy just looks different. And he had that style. It wasn't just the size. It wasn't just how smooth he moved. It wasn't just the speed. I'll always remember him catching screens and his hands are so big so he could carry that ball so loose, man. Just a loaf of bread out there. And it was always like, DT, what are you doing? But he was really secure with it. Um, and, you know, I, I dedicated a, a year plus to figuring out uh, algorithms and evaluations for players and how to grade them out in every single sport at every different position. So I've really, I've really thought hard these last 10 years as we do draft stuff and everything about how you evaluate a player and the, um, the, how they impact winning versus losing, you know, and football is a great sport because every play you can see an assignment and are you winning and are you losing? And as someone who's done that, um, and had to figure out what is a good performance from an O-lineman when they allow pressures, but maybe they're run blocking really well and they don't allow, or, or a pitcher who, uh, who has 10 strikeouts, but then allows two key bombs, you know, and maybe gets a loss. Uh, and all, all these, you know, hard things to, to balance as you evaluate a player. Definitively, Demarius Thomas's contributions to winning to this franchise are... Uh, just so overwhelmingly greater than some isolated drops here and there. And you got to understand that's who the guy was. He was a big play machine. And for the, the, the little plays that he might have uh, dropped or the little margins he might have missed, he made up for that tenfold. And not just with the big plays he created, with everything he did off the field that, that Hanks talked about, the blocking impact he had, the kind of presence and uh, you know fear that he would put in secondaries that would have to shift coverages and account for him. All that has to take into account for as well. You can't just dwell on some isolated drops. Um, that's so sadly kind of, you know, uh, got mixed up in what is uh, really one of the cleanest and greatest legacies of Broncos history. Yeah. You know that video where the they're arguing, it's like the meme where it's like, the wicked witch of the East, bro, and the guy's yelling at him. That's that's how I felt defending Demarius Thomas over the years, just screaming at people, basically making the, the point that, that Dre just made. And I interrupted you, Hank, so I'm sorry. So take the floor. Okay, sounds good. But basically, like, he's... <sighs> 
he's just like a Bronco. You know, you look through yeah. the, the roster right now where it's, they're just, they, you just don't have guys like that. And I think that that piece can get lost because the, it was an era where you have, you know, Von Miller's here for forever. Um, you know, Derek Wolf even was here for quite a while. He will be remembered as a Bronco. And, and you just, that's one of those pieces that is missing right now. You just don't have people who have been around long enough who are setting the culture at what it's at and carrying that through multiple eras from Tim Tebow through Peyton Manning and, and on through Trevor Simeon. And, and that is another piece of the legacy that just can't be forgotten. I mean, it's why people think of him the way that they do. And it's a piece that's really missing right now. You know, you hope that Justin Simmons turns into one of those guys, but there just legitimately isn't anybody on this roster right now who, you know, Von Miller was the last one. And, you know, maybe you make an argument for Brandon McManus, but Demarius Thomas is just one of those true Broncos. One of those guys who's in like the top 10 or 15 ever, not just in terms of what they contributed in terms of football players, but just being a Bronco. And I think it's the importance of homegrown talent that's drafted and developed. And you hope that this class can be similar to that DT class of 2010, which, uh, you know, I always dwell on the disaster that 09 was with two first rounders, three second rounders. Just disgusting. No, Sean Moreno is the only one who really lasted there. Um, with and that, that took a while to pan out too. Yes, it did. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a long while. But then in 2010... McManus or um, McDaniel's kind of figured some things out. Tebow, Demarius Thomas, Zane Beatles, Eric Decker, four key contributors to kind of restarting the Broncos um, as jo the John Elway era at GM started just the year after that. And of course, Von Miller got drafted. And then a year after that, Peyton Manning came and it was on. But again, this Peyton come if DT without makes, DT. I mean, because he was so key to that offense with Tebow, and of course, then he he caps it all off with the wild card game that is an all timer. That's probably the single most exciting sports play of my lifetime. It's that, and it's the Matt Holiday slide at home plate. That uh, that DT game is honestly the reason why I'm doing this shit. Why I wanted to oh. go into sports media. I remember, um. I had to actually work that game at my first job, just at a burger joint. And I missed that game and I was beyond upset. And I told myself I would never miss a big Broncos game like that again. And it's why I picked uh, this. It's pretty amazing. I love that. Yeah. I uh, just real sidetrack and then we'll get into the conference championship stuff and the, and the risers and fallers in, in high school and college. I used to tell the employers that I would work part-time jobs at, that I couldn't work on Sundays for religious reasons. And I couldn't really ask you anything further than that. No. And so I just, I always use that to never miss Broncos games. So pro tip, if you're out there working a, a day job, just use something ambiguous like that. And people are too scared to ask you questions further. It's essentially true. It works. Yeah. Works. Yeah. I mean, the Broncos are the, I don't want to like really yeah, get into exactly. that. That's We're like the closest thing it. I have faith in. But. Exactly. <laughs> I had a manager who was a college football nut, so he'd take Saturdays off and I'd take Sundays off. So it kind of makes that. that way. Yeah. That's a respectable agreement. At least you get one in. Yeah. I, I would try really hard to miss Saturdays too. But, yeah, um, I know. 
got into the draft way harder a couple of years after that. So <laughs> Saturdays were, were much more of a focus. We're going to talk about the conference championship, but football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. With the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers, you just got to bet $1 on any team to score. If they score, you're going to win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If you're a current customer, you can also get some skin in the game with the same game parlay. This is where you combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Actually, just with uh, withdrew the other day. Going to use it to, to buy some holiday wow. presents. So shout out to DraftKings. Hit a big parlay last weekend. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR. Bet $1 on any team to score. Win $100 in free bets if they score. You score with the promo code DNVR this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL must be 21 or older, Colorado only. New customers only restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Hoops or football? Big parlay win, Justin. Uh, football. I, I bet Bama money line because you know I'm all in on the roll side. Um, what a game. What a game. <laughs> we'll get into that in a second. But oh. I, uh, I took the over in a couple of those championship games and they, they all hit. So Championship over. Wow. wow. Incredible stuff. Let's get into that. Let's get also, into the... Also, let's yeah. not. Um, but if you want to get into it, or you can do that. Green Mountain Dental Group. It might be kind of tough to talk about sports because uh, you would potentially have a bunch of things shoved in your mouth at any given time. But when that mouth is free from having people's hands in it, that's what they want to do. Who knows? Maybe they'll just talk to you about sports. It could be like kind of a podcast sort of deal. Um, But that's why we like them. That's why they advertise with us because they're big Denver sports fans because they pay attention to the stuff we do. And we want to give that love back to them. It's a family-owned dentistry. You really can't do any better in the Denver metro area. They're in Lakewood. It's like uh, 15 minutes away from downtown Denver. Super convenient. And again, they'll talk Broncos or whatever you want to talk about with you. And maybe just to you if they have things in your mouth. So uh, there you go. If you uh, schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam, you can get a free Sonicare toothbrush. It's a great deal. It's a, it's a, it's like a chair massage for your mouth, Henry. That's how good it is. Yeah. 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 Wow. I highly suggest it. Once you move to that, you're like, what was I doing all these years? Brushing my teeth with my hands like a peasant? When am I riding a work on horseback as well? It's (laughs) I'm allergic. (laughs) <laughs> that's what I'm saying, man. Yeah. Religious wow, reasons. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Wow. I really want to get that checked out. I want to have a massage in my mouth. This has really chair. gone uh, <laughs> off the rails, and we've said in your mouth way too many times. In the it's last a dentistry, of Justin. You <laughs> yeah, can say it as Justin, much as you want. Yeah. I know. Hey. I'm just, it's getting weird. I got a manscaped read later. Later, hey. we're saying in your mouth a bunch. Hey. Like, hey. Let's let's hey. let's keep it hey. clean. It's the holiday season. Santa's you watching. Went there. Yes. <laughs> he is always watching. <laughs> Famously, you just got yourself in trouble, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I was screwed long before today. Like I already, we're covered. I'm getting cold. Let's oh, um, no. Henry, you did you did complete that read to complete. Oh yeah. 
I did we a great job. Completion. We climax that read. Okay. We, um, <laughs> Santa doesn't like you either now. <laughs> no. <laughs> Lake Justin. I've been on the naughty list for a minute. I might as yeah. well get my money's worth at this point. But yeah, yeah. let's uh, let's talk about the conference championships because I, I guess probably shocking to most people, Alabama kind of. I mean, they really worked Georgia in that game. I it, I kept waiting for Georgia to come back and it just wow. didn't really happen. Like they did make some plays, but what are, are, is ban- are we taking them for real now? I mean, I feel like people were kind of writing them off. Like they didn't even have a chance in that game. I mean, who wants to go that matchup in the trenches after seeing them against Auburn, not to yeah, mention LSU. Hell? And I'm other not saying it wasn't, I'm not saying fight. it wasn't logical. Like I was nervous going in, but I, no, I don't but- know what changed. Well, I would say Georgia's secondary, which was the weak side of the D, just hadn't been tested yet. And Probably since Clemson, maybe that first game. And that, you know, I mean, we all saw Clemson is not right. Yeah. And I mean, and it reconnects to what we said about Demarius Thomas. There might be a lot of good wide receivers, but when there's a difference between good and great, and from the start, we could see that Jamison Williams on top of Mechie, we're just going to be a massive problem for those dudes. Not, okay. have, not having Mechie is scary. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's a big deal. But again, though, this feels like one of those Bama postseason situations where it's like, oh, no, they lost this guy. Oh, shit, it turns out the backup who gets to play is even better. Like, it, yeah. it's, it feels like a story as old as time. And... We definitely not, got a hundred yard game coming from like Slade Bolton. Exactly. Exactly. I uh I don't know. I, the big thing to me is that I think Georgia's going to beat Michigan. Like if I'm picking a side, I'm pretty easily picking that side. When I look at Bama and Cincinnati, I mean what's the line gonna be? It, it might be out now, but that's gotta be a 20 point line. I, I think Bama sleepwalks into the final, and I think that's why if I'm taking somebody to win this whole thing. I'm easily taking Bama just because I feel like there's a guaranteed win in, in that first game. And then can they beat Georgia again? I don't know. Feels like a toss-up. I'm siding with Saban, though, after what I saw. And, yeah, that's as a better where I'm going. Yeah, Alabama, uh, 13 half-point favorites right now over Cincinnati. Um, that'll move for Bama. sure in the coming weeks. You may want to take them now, man. Yep. Um but yeah, I just, I don't even really know what to think, man. I mean, going into the SEC championship game, I was thinking along the lines of how they performed in that Auburn game and that Georgia front is just going to manhandle Alabama. And it was complete opposite day. None of that even happened. Um, so I don't know. I guess Bama just has the ability to put up some stinkers every now and then this year with this team. Um, and they're just kind of getting it right. Um, altogether, I mean, Cincinnati, if anyone in the playoffs to get matched up against, it's Cincinnati for Alabama. I mean, they're going to, like Hank said, this, this line's going to blow up and I think it's going to be a pretty easy victory for Alabama, but man, I would have loved to see them against Michigan. I mean, it's hard to kind of put them against Georgia in that semifinal after they just played, yeah. but, uh, I think Michigan would have been a nice, uh, barometer for them moving forward. And I guess would have made more sense of it all, but now I have no idea. Am I crazy for thinking? With the way that Alabama was able to kind of handle Georgia's defensive front, Michigan's got to at least be feeling okay, especially with the way that their offensive line is playing, the way they're running the football. 
I, that could be a more interesting matchup than I ever would have guessed, you know, four to six weeks ago. That's I where mean, I'm at. It, it is more interesting than I would have expected. Um, plus, I mean, you've got Aiden Hutchinson out there who on the other side of the ball could could just do enough himself that the rest doesn't really matter. If he's neutralizing that side, and even if you I mean, even if you lose in the trenches as Mich- Michigan is in the off- offensive side, you at least have a door open. As long as you don't lose by that much, and Aiden Hutchinson's keeping things kind of even on the other side, you need some big plays, you need turnovers to go your way. But I do think there is a path here now that before I would have said, yeah, they're they're just getting stomped. They match up really well, and neither team's really going to test the the weak side of both defenses, which is the secondary. That's where Bama had the huge advantage. Jamison Williams, guys, is an absolute freak. I think he's moved himself into like clear-cut wide receiver one conversation, which is insane. He was on Ohio State and had to leave because he was behind um, Olave and friends, and now he's going to be drafted ahead of those dudes. Since the Tennessee game in late October, um, he's had 20.5 yards per average, 16, 26.3, 23.8, 21.5, 26.3. Over the century mark, over 120 yards in every single one of that game, those games, except for Auburn. I mean, we saw what kind of an impact and factor he is. Again, you, we it, there's a reason we we go back to referencing Henry Ruggs and stuff because you the guys who can just disappear from secondaries the way Williams can <coughs> stand out in your mind. They're rare. They're unique. Um, and you know. How much did we talk about Ruggs's production as the one question? This guy's this guy's just blowing it. Sixty-five receptions, a thousand four hundred yards. He's been an absolute freak. And I think the other note from the SEC championship before we move on to some of the other games um, is that now it's on. Like Bryce Young is mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence. He is Deshaun Watson. Like he has arrived doing that to Georgia's defense, even if we have to maybe reassess, recalibrate exactly where Georgia's defense falls in the pantheon of all time great college football defenses. Doing that to this D, some they were allowing less than a touchdown per game, people. Doing that to this defense is there are no words there are no after words after the best drive that we'd seen all season i mean that drive down the field against auburn yeah, yeah. that no, in the well, the jake hayner game at ucla like those are the two most iconic moments of the college football season 100% his poise um his his ability to thread the needle and and get it out on time uh really stood out man really stood out and he can make all the throws he he can go sideline to sideline uh he can get you vertical and he's a problem man He's a problem. That kind of poise from a guy who's what in his 14th career start, uh, 13th is an issue. <laughs> and this is now like a I, tank for Bryce Young is a thing. I think it's time to say right. that it's absolutely it's a thing. on. Like, yes. He is such a clear number one next year that that's a, it's just the world we live in. The man is a monster. And I, there's so many things working in his favor, too. And like, CJ Stroud's been otherworldly and maybe has an yep. arm that ticks up. So us saying this is saying something. I know. Right. It, why can't the Broncos need a quarterback next Whoa. year instead of this year? But uh, well, they, they might still. 
I, I do think like you even look at like Mac Jones having success in the NFL. It's like, okay, well, it wasn't just all the receivers. Like he's he's actually making things work with the worst receiving core. And again, he has a whole bunch of things working in his favor too. But but that would be like the one big doubt at this point, right? With Bryce Young is saying like, well, he has that talent around sure. him and specifically those talented receivers. When you see somebody make that jump before, it's like, okay, I I number one, what find your flaw. Tell tell me why he is not somebody who can change a franchise around. And honestly, the answer is, well, it's not really working for Trevor Lawrence so far. And that's a terrible argument. So, yeah, pretty special. The other thing I'd say is, uh, holy cow, Brock Bowers. <laughs> Dude, um, what a freak. A, the Georgia tight end. We, you know, oh now we're God. talking three drafts ahead, but. What are we setting as uh, over under on touchdowns in this uh, playoff? Like 20, 25? <laughs> He's incredible. How do you cover him, man? He looks like a he looks like a legitimate power forward in the NBA, and he moves well. Like he's he's not slow. He he runs fluid. He's got soft hands. The dude's a freak. Well, and he he looks like an NFL player, and then they'll zoom in on his face, and it's like what? (laughs) (laughs) They stuffed a sixteen-year-old in a grown man's body. What is going on right now? He's one of the freaky freak like that stuff really like kind of freaks me out. Um one of the freakish freaks you'll see. And, and credit credit to the game plan for Bama. Credit to um honestly uh Brian Robinson, who is not a hundred percent. I think uh he did teams, enough in that game to really like help them keep possession and just kind of put the the foot down because neither of the well, teams were able to really run very well. The thing that stood out to me, this was before CSU and hired Jay Norvell. I'm watching both of these teams just throw bombs down the field in the SEC championship all game. Bama just drawn flag after flag. Georgia drew a couple. And I'm thinking to myself, like, if you're watching this game, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, both (laughs) relying on the vertical passing game, this is what everybody in the country should be doing. And it's just, it's where the best athletes are on the field. The rules favor it. And ultimately, it's why as inconsistent as Alabama has been this entire season, I think having Jamison Williams, he's the type of player where he can just break two of those a game. And that's the difference. Like it it offsets five or six drives of not being able to do anything. It's just a, such a safe play. These guys, they have great hands. They make smart plays or you're going to draw a foul. And so I'm just, I think they're going to be a brutal matchup for anyone they go up against just with the speed they have. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's just crazy. And going back to the tight end, that's a position where you expect it to take a couple years for you to adapt. You know, it's not like just being a receiver where you're super fast. And it's like, okay, like you got to be big and strong and physical to even get out there. And the fact that he is a true freshman is doing all this is kind of crazy. In, in the SEC. In the SEC. Uh, yeah, I... Uh, these are some really fun teams with a lot of really good players. And oh yeah, the gap between the SEC and the Pac-12 is a wide one. It, the, the, that's something that crosses my mind over and over again. And the, the difference to me is like the quarterbacks. Like it used to be that you'd have a quarterback who could swoop in and try to save a team if you're in the Pac-12. But now all the quarterbacks are leaving. You've got Bryce Young out there in... Uh, with uh, Bama, you've got CJ Stroud leaving for Ohio State. And now that these SEC teams have the, the complete team 
with the quarterbacks like they have had for like these last five or 10 years or whatever it's been, not even 10. That's just a gap that you don't, you can't make up. Georgia Bama are on on another level. I mean, Mm -hmm. those O-lines too, like Evan Neal, Stud. Uh, Also, man, I think, I kind of thought Georgia got a little exposed for having so much of their pass rush strength be in the middle. Bryce was kind of able to once they once they you know started breaking the pocket down to just go out and break contain and and you know gain gain some extra time on the perimeter. Uh, his poise and ability to gain extra time, or even look at the Auburn game. You know the fact that they stayed alive in that basically on three points for three quarters. A lot of that is him not forcing the issue and not making a key mistake when he could lose that game for him. Right. When it, it would have been really easy to. You're on the road, so you're getting easy. beat down, you try and make a yes. play and force it, and then all of a sudden you're down 17. And think of how many times Broncos quarterbacks have managed to lose games because they're under duress over the last few years. Um, and the kind of poise this kid's showing on his 13th start. Uh, so, yeah. Really impressive. I thought Evan Neal, though, was really good. I'm kind of enamored with uh, the guards Georgia has. I, I thought they played a hell of a game. Like Georgia's not that far behind offensively, even with Stenson Bennett. You know, they're just they just They're just a quarterback away. Like, if they had Bryce Young instead of who they have, I think Georgia wins that game. Frankly, I think if they had Jameson Williams, they might win that game. Maybe. Yeah, just that guy to break the like, one more play. Right. Right, because um, then, you know, Bowers gets hurt, and he's kind of their one weapon, and they had to abandon the running game a little too soon. Uh, yeah. And I hate to bring up his name again, but, I mean, this is kind of where losing Adam Anderson looms pretty big here. Like you mentioned, Dre, uh, Bryce Young yeah. was able yep. to get around on the edge. You lose one of your best defenders and probably your best way. edge defender in yeah. that same sense. So, And, you know... It, Bad, bad game for Georgia's uh, secondary prospects. Kane, they got toasted. Yeah, the safety. Yeah, bad. Kennard, you know who transferred from Clemson. Horrible. Um, Ringo, is it? Who uh, he? He just got torched. So yeah, not great. They'll have to reevaluate the Michigan game. It's going to be an all timer. Just I would not want to play O line in that matchup. That's going to be a bloodbath. Um, if you could take of, one draft eligible player from that SEC championship game, put him on the Broncos, who would you choose? Ooh, nice question. No Bryce Young. Uh, That's why I said draft eligible. Yeah, very good. Yeah, very well, good. <laughs> Will Anderson too. Um, right, right. For sure. Man, that's a, a good question. Dre, what are you thinking? It's Evan Neal. It's Evan Neal. Yeah, I think so too. So, yeah. He's just a monster. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, you'd have to move someone to right, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, someone like Jamison Williams would be nice to have. I mean, I know the receiving core is already stacked, but take the best player. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I wouldn't complain with a Tevon Walker and a Kobe Dean. Um, right, right. Tyndale. Jordan Davis. Yeah. Well, well, shit. I, you know, we've talked so much about the Georgia linebackers. Credit to the Bama linebackers. That that was second, great. They played up. Mm-hmm. They really played great. Um, Toa Toa uh, was great, really moved well. And I, I love Harris, man. 
like we just don't talk about Harris enough. And maybe it's because he's kind of old school and he only works in matchups against teams like Georgia and Michigan because he is a bit more of a thumper, but he was awesome. Um, and he's better in pass coverage than he gets credit for. He's not a guy that's out there getting pass breakups, but he's in the right spot. He makes it hard to throw over the middle. He's really killed it. Um, one final thought on Evan Neal, just since Hank asked, you know, which draft eligible player you would take. I agree. Like Jamison Williams is the most exciting player and I have both of on the team. I think Evan Neal is as good at tackle as Jamison Williams is at what he does as a wide receiver. Like he's come on really strong down the stretch and really kind of filled some holes in what's this isn't the elite Alabama offensive line that we've been used Obviously. to the last five, six years. Like he's doing a lot of this solo. It, it was a really good game in the SEC championship, but when you look at this season as a whole, he's been so important to what they've done. And the positional fit, obviously, as well. Like, I think we're all on the same page there, but adding a tackle. You know, we talked about this last week, and I was yeah. on the team, like, you don't have to worry about position, but then you think about it, and it's like, if you add one more tackle to this group, and you got bulls and whatever he's going to do for the next couple of years, which you kind of just have to live with on one side, you've got your tackles on the other side, and it's like, do you want to move Calvin Anderson aside? Probably not, but... You even have those sorts of conversations if you want. If one of if you can't find three out of those five guys that you have in the middle right now, it'd just be such a solid group to roll with. I don't know. Neil would be great. Building an offensive identity around the line that is, uh, you know, has bookends and Garrett Bowles and Evan Neal mm-hmm. and is, you know, with the young guards, which we're really high on, mm-hmm. and they're they're setting blocks for Javante Williams. That doesn't seem like the worst identity to try and beat some of the quarterbacks in your division, you know. Yeah, and having an identity of Evan Neal blocking for Javante Williams, like those two just feel like they fit together for me. Just such a big guy just out there road grading and Javante coming through and road grading himself. It it'd be it'd be Broncos football. Quinn Miners in the middle, maybe Muti on the other side. I mean, you've got you get some real oh. great run blockers on this team. I'd, I'd definitely be about that. And I, I will say, even if you bring in a guy like Neil, you need more than two tackles in the modern NFL. It's a long season, 17 games, having three or four quality tackles, you know, being able to plug and play, it's, it's such, a, such an advantage because somebody is going to go down at some point, maybe not long-term, maybe it's only for a half of football, but there's good pass rushers everywhere. And you just, you got to, you got to, cement that offensive line get it going but we've been talking about this bama georgia game for a long time so let's let's talk about some of the other stuff we briefly talked about michigan iowa we don't have to really dive into it just because they absolutely curb stomped them but the the only thing that worries me in terms of michigan keeping this closer because i do think they're good enough to at least cover it's they had a couple of really bad picks in that game like as dominant as they were offensively their passing situation still worries me because I feel like they're good for two to three really bad throws a game that could put them in a bad spot. And you can't afford to do that against a team like Georgia. Yeah, uh, it's been the kind of the Achilles heel of Michigan all year. I mean, Achilles heel might be a bit strong too because they've shown that they can be explosive at times when they absolutely have to or when they really just want to uh, show it off like they did in the Wisconsin game. Um, but yeah, just really interested to see if this rushing attack and if this offensive line is able to kind of hold in as well as they have these last two weeks going over 200 yards, yes. over six yards of carry the last two weeks. I mean, that's 
spectacular production. I don't know if that's something that you could even get close to replicating against Georgia. Um, if they do, I, I would assume it's a Michigan cover, at least maybe even an outright win. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's tough for me to really kind of side with Michigan uh, at this point. Um, I, I was expecting the big 10 championship game to be closer. That was just a complete talent mismatch, but I think it's kind of coming back the other way for Michigan where Georgia's just a little bit better at almost every other position. Uh, I mean, we got plenty of weeks to dive into this yeah. but as of right now. Yeah. I, well, Hud- go ahead. I'm, I'm kind of tempted just to ride the Jim Harbaugh train, which is not a sentence I ever wanted to or expected to say. <laughs> but like when you see the way that this team plays, like the potential, like you said, to be explosive on offense and the way that they were able to just kind of, I mean, beat up on Iowa. First of all, that's that's what you need to be able to do if you're going to compete with Georgia. Like, you need to be able to put up 40-whatever points and win by double digits and all those sorts of things. But then just with this defense, I really like Daxton Hill back there. Obviously, Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah. Like, I don't think that this is a defense that you say, hmm, position by position, this is comparable with what Georgia or Bama puts out, out on the field. But you have playmakers. And if you're getting sacks on third downs from Aiden Hutchinson, if you're getting Hill out there picking off a pass, maybe pulling off two, like you see where they have the guys who could make plays and and turn this into a game, especially if Georgia goes super conservative. A couple of those spat, splash plays could be enough just to make it come down to the last possession. I honestly think they match up better <clears throat> with Georgia than Bama did. You know, obviously this that's what I was going to say. I believe in Michigan huh. in this game, and my grandfather's a Michigan alum, and so I'm rooting for him. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying they're going to win. Yeah, I'm I just saying when I you look at the in... national narrative, people are acting like they're kind of talking the way they were talking about Georgia going into the Bama game, where it's like, ah, oh, Georgia's just Michigan. They won't be able to do anything. Like, let's just get to the championship already. And it's weird to me, considering how dominant they've been the last month. I mean, even had they blown the doors off Bama, I think it's just a matchup where both teams are... I mean, they're the exact same team in a lot of ways. They're defense first, run first. Uh, You have the playmakers to make big plays. You're kind of overcoming your quarterback's deficiencies rather than really playing into them. But the quarterbacks are mobile. They can make some plays. Those offenses can get vertical. They're really well coached. These are programs that have had those coaches for a minute and had like top 10 recruiting class after top 10 recruiting class. But where it's really going to get interesting is going to be exactly what we just talked, what I was talking about with the Georgia D line being maybe a little too interior heavy and that allowing Georgia to get outside. Well, the strength of Georgia's O line is its interior, that's where they have their veterans. Strength of Michigan's D-line is on the edge. Advantage Michigan. Strength of Michigan's O-line is at offensive tackle, where they have veteran offensive tackles who we need to start talking about on the draft. The weakness is going to be the interior, where they're a little younger. That's the strength of Georgia's defense. So it's going to be strength on weakness and vice versa in the trenches on both sides. Both quarterbacks are similar, if Michigan does a better job containing than Georgia did in the Bama game, I think McNamara could get outside the pocket enough times to create plays. Now it's going to be harder to Michigan to run on that front, though. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's going to be 
a phenomenal battle. You're going to have at least five NFL prospects combined in the trenches on both sides. That's a super conservative estimate. You'll probably have like eight drafted guys, um, you know, in like two, three years once everyone's draft eligible. So it's going to be great. Uh, you've actually got some NFL talent at running back here as well. Um, and yeah, so two of the better safeties in the country. So this is a, this is going to be great, but I I've been really impressed by Michigan. I've been really impressed. This is a, they're a throwback as much as I just hyped up the vertical passing offense. And like, it's fun to watch Bama. Michigan's kind of one of those old school. We're just going to run it down your throat. Yeah, for sure. Um, a team that's a little less of a throwback was uh, Pitwick Forest, Kenny Pickett's all the rage. Fake slides aside, uh, what what are the takeaways, fam? I like that he's played some of his best football down the stretch when Pitt, you know, like they didn't, they obviously didn't make the playoff or anything like that, but they didn't choke away this season or anything like that. I feel like he kind of led this team. When I watch Pitt, there's not really anything standing out outside of him. I mean, I, I like some of their wide receivers, but they're, they're pretty much in this position because of him. I really like his ability to improvise. I mean, just running around. I, I don't think he has the strongest arm in the world. He can make those throws, but there are times where throwing across the middle, I'm a little worried about his ability to zip it enough to get it in some of these NFL windows. But I, I think at this point, he's probably done enough to put himself as QB1 I don't know if I like him the most, but I do think he's going to get taken first. Yeah, I, I, I you probably, it's, it's tough at the top. And I think that when, when you get close to the draft, that's when Malik Willis runs a four, whatever, and everybody freaks out. And so he jumps up a couple spots, Matt that's Corral or somebody has a crazy week at the senior bowl or something like that. And so then they take a lead. So I still think it's too early, especially with this class. Um, because it but is so today, today. But that, yeah, that's how I feel today. today has he, has he maxed yeah. out his stock? You know, is that's this, very well possible. Is this the peak of the draft cycle? I think this is yeah. what I'd sell if I was, if, if I had Kenny Pickett stock, I think this is probably the peak, but yeah, I mean, he, he does a lot of things you like. Um, like Justin said, not the strongest arm, but he does have that kind of downfield passing game style kind of that Joe Burrow type of mold that, that is exciting. Um, big enough guy, uh, definitely some turnover issues later on in the season. And I mean, what, 42 touchdowns, seven interceptions at this point. So how big are the issues? It's just that there's quarterbacks every year who are now throwing like four interceptions, which is absurd. Um, so I don't know, maybe some, a couple of questions about whether he puts the ball in harm's way too much. But I, I don't worry about it, especially like Justin said, you know, he doesn't have the best talent around him. And you wonder if just what, what would happen if he was at Alabama? If he was at Alabama, would he be throwing for 400 yards a game? Maybe. And so I, I, I do think that as of right now, he's probably number one. Um, it's just tough when, when the other guys are kind of the flashy type. You know, when you have Matt Corral, who is the, has the guts and at the end of the game is doing stuff. He has the, the ability to run the ball a little bit and you see that and you're like, okay, that's, that's, that's exciting. You could see how that could translate or Malik Willis. Who's, who's the runner who could just be like a Michael Vick mold. And, and you want to take the shot on that. Like Kenny Pickett, maybe not the sexiest option, but 
in terms of quarterbacks, like I feel like he's got to be number one right now. Uh, two he things. Feels safe. Um, yeah. One, uh, Justin, you mentioned the receivers for Pitt. Uh, we got to give it up for Jordan Addison, man. He won the Bolitnikoff this year, which, I mean, we've already talked about how many receivers on this podcast and how many receivers have we talked about this year just being difference makers and leading their team. Uh, he outperformed them all in the eyes of the Bolitnikoff voters. Um, just a guy that we need to, we haven't given him enough attention and someone yeah. that can kind of get lost in the shuffle. And then secondly, um, just going back to, I remember when I worked at uh, Sports Info Solutions at the boss, uh, our boss, Matt, he was, of course, a former scout uh, with the Saints and stuff. And he would always tell stories about how when the college season ends, um, him and the other scouts would joke about taking a picture of the draft board because once all the kind of pre-draft post-season uh, nonsense kind of gets rolling, you really kind of psych yourself out and forget the, that you're really just trying to find the best football players. Um, of course, you know, personality and off the field stuff is going to factor in, but when it comes to on the field, the best uh, quarterback player I saw this year was Kenny Pickett. And, you know, he's not Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, you know, these number one overall pick types, obviously, uh, but he had a fantastic year, and I keep on going back to last year, man. He was really impressive last year, too, yeah. um, when I watched him, and I wrote his name down multiple times. I, I don't know if he's ever going to be a top 10, top 5 quarterback in the NFL, um, but someone like Denver, I mean, if he's staring you at the face at wherever you pick, you really have to think about him. It's going to be a really interesting question because I think, I mean, in a lot of ways, he does have those traits you're talking about, Hank. I think it's more the narrative that's getting mixed up, but... He's thrown for 300 yards at Pitt. He doesn't have to be at Bama, do he? He's thrown 300 yards against defenses like Clemson. Say what you will about Clemson. But their defense was up to their usual standards. Um, and, you know, I think even Wake, who's been a good team all year, he put it on him. You know, it's uh, he's had some impressive performances. The Wake game, he shows off some of his wheels as well. Uh, the poise is there. I think he's one of the more poised, under-pressure guys. But it's going to come down to... Yeah, arm strength. I, I just don't see the tightest spiral, but he gets it where where it needs to be. He maybe struggled a little bit in the second half of the Clemson game once they started getting some weather. Um, and, you know, all the talk about him is going to be about hand size. Like, that's what it's all going to come down to, is hand size. And, you know, for teams in the old black and blue or the AFC North or in Denver, uh, that is something worth considering. So we'll see, but yeah, I wonder if, uh, I wonder if this is where his stock peaks because he's also kind of an older prospect too, but he's, right. uh, he's had a hell of a season. I think we'll, I'll keep coming back to, he's a, he's a little Kirk Cousiny. He's a little Blake Baker Mayfield. We'll see. He's kind of bigger than both though. Hand size aside, 6'3", 220, he's kind of bigger than both. It's like, now that's a big quarterback these days. That's bigger than Mac right. Jones. That's bigger than a lot of guys that come out. That is crazy. But yeah, Kirk, Kirk Cousinsy is probably the way I'd put it. Yeah. Who was a late third rounder? You, you could know? do a lot worse than Kirk Cousins in the NFL, as we have seen. Um, that was the thing I wanted to ask you, though, Trey, is could do better. Could do well. Better. He is probably going to be a first round quarterback, unless you know his stock just completely tanks in these next couple months. Oh. Would you actually give him a first round grade at this point? Um, 
we'll have to dig in well on the evaluation. That'd be an upset for me with where I'm standing on them right now. Um, That's kind of what I figured. I just don't see necessarily that first round potential. Uh, it's hard to give first round grades to quarterbacks too. So many fall in that late first, uh, early second range for me, just because of, uh, you know, there's always a couple glaring questions that just situation or developmentally, you're kind of taking a leap of faith, you know, and in assuming that they'll get it figured out. So, yeah, no, I think he'll be, I think he'll, he'll end up being a top 50 prospect for me for sure. I, I, I think it'll be an upset for him to sneak into that first round, but you know, it, the tape's pretty clean. There's, there's a lot to be impressed by. It's, it's the wow traits. He's missing some of the wow traits. How many yeah. of last year's quarterbacks, how, how, how far can you go down that list before you get to one of this year's? Cause Trevor Lawrence is ahead of everybody. That's a very interesting question. I think the top five in last year's class are all yeah. quarterback one yeah. this year. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, and then it starts to become, well, where would you rank these guys ahead of Kyle Trask or Davis Mills? Oh, Jesus Christ. No. Yeah. Right. And who wants to do that exercise? Um, and those guys, I think, fall more in the Sam Howell range, you know? The Trask, Davis Mills guys, where it's like, right, okay, right, like, and the top five ish mix. Not the greatest game for Desmond Ritter. Um, but hey, all these guys we mostly focus on Pickett aside, and Pickett's going to have a great bowl to showcase his talents as well. Everyone's going to have more tape against really high end talent to, uh, to showcase their stuff. So the, the draft pod will only get more fresh content from here. Oh yeah, baby. Bowl season, the best time of the year. Holiday season, the best time of the year. And if you don't yes. know what to get as a gift or stocking stuffer, today's sponsor, Manscaped, has the tools to guarantee you the uh, you're going to be a winner when it comes to this year's stocking stuffer or white elephant competition. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. They have served 4 million men worldwide. I'm not very good at math, but if it's correct, that's 8 million balls. Get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code DNVR. Ho, 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 fellas, naughty or nice. The season to perform is here. Manscaped's best-selling product is the Performance Package 4.0. That's going to be at the top of every man's wish list this year. Inside that Performance Package 4.0, you're also going to find the Lawnmower Body Trimmer. This is the best trimmer on the market for your uh, your balls, your butt, your body. They've got the Weed Whacker, which is for your ear and nose. They've got you covered anywhere you have hair. Manscaped is going to help you take care of that. Let's not forget about their liquid formulations, the Crop Preserver, Ball deodorant, crop reviver. These are lifesavers. I mean, Christmas could be a long day. You might, you know, be carrying a lot of presents. You want to stay right. fresh. So put some right. crop reviver on, ball deodorant. You're going to be good to go. Again, go to manscaped.com. Use that code DNVR. Holiday season is here. Get your loved ones the gift of Manscaped, which is the gift that keeps on giving, just like that Jelly of the Month Club. Um, shout out manscaped.com. Nice. Um, yeah, well, you're sweating by the fireplace taking family <laughs> photos they've got you covered love that um all right lots of uh lots of miscomprehensions about this draft class i think at this point i see a lot of comps with 2013 i'm a 2013 draft survivor so i take that personally uh you guys don't know what i've been through you guys don't know what it was like to do live broadcasts during that draft or uh you know, spend the life 
a year of my life having to study that horrendous class. So Eno Smith hype. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. EJ Manuel. Totally. Davon oh. Austin, man. The hype was real. Um, and yes, like something like eight offensive linemen in the first 11 picks. I will never forget talking Chargers fans off the ledge after the DJ Fluker pick. Sorry, guys. And then trolling them a few rounds later as we got uh, Shaq Barrett as an undrafted free agent and being like, oh, Shaq Barrett roasted the 11th overall pick. Good job, guys. Anyways, fun times. Um, So let's get through it. Strengths, weaknesses. We've only got 15 minutes. In fact, 15 minutes at most, Henry. Uh, So... Shout out, shout out to my guy. Wow. Uh, so that means overview of this class, strengths, weaknesses. Where where would you rank it within these uh, last few classes and what have you? Whoever Hank. wants to start us off. I, uh, honestly, I like the linebackers. I think you're you're maybe missing that, that top end guy. But with N'Kobe Dean, with uh, Christian Harris... There's there's some talent there that you know again you're not you're not going to see Lloyd. Devin Lloyd of course but disrespect uh, for sure <laughs> I'm not sure that I mean, you just look through past past drafts and there haven't been a lot of inside linebackers who go high so obviously you get Devin Lloyd who's going to be a potential like top ten pick but you've got some other first rounders in there if um, you're named Devin your chances of being a high First round inside the linebacker actually increased drastically. <laughs> through the roof yeah. of Devin Stock by now. Right, exactly. Yep. Also, this is going to be my one little tangent that's left because we don't have time. But uh, you know how much I hate to give praise to somebody like this? There's literally no draft hype for <laughs> Troy Anderson. Montana State. Screw him. Oh. He was my rival in high school. He's my rival now. <laughs> But he was what freshman of the year in the Big Sky Conference as uh, as a running back. Flipped over to quarterback the next year um, and was an All American there. Has been playing linebacker the last two years. Obviously has these freaky traits. Um, he's a finalist for the Buck Buchanan Defensive Player of the Year for FCS. One of three, um, oh, yeah. and and he is he's a do it all type of player who has the traits to play any position. He's going to be a steal in this draft. And also, screw him. I've hated him for a decade. <laughs> it's not a bad group to highlight. You know, the top guys, mm-hmm. we talked about the Alabama and the Georgia guys. Channing Tyndale, a guy to watch as well. Wisconsin has a pair of studs too. Jack mm-hmm. Campbell at Iowa. Overshone at Texas. Mike Rose at Iowa State. Really nice group. Yep. And for my weakest, I'll go... Uh, uh, I mean, quarterback is the easy one. I'm going to throw running back out there. Yeah. I think, you know, yeah. Isaiah Spiller hasn't lived up to the hype. Um, the, what's his name from Iowa State? Brees, Brees Hall. He Hall. he also hasn't lived up to the hype. Like, you've seen some guys pop like Zach Charbonnet, but even Zach Charbonnet, True. it's like, eh, you're not, you don't have like the top end go score yeah. touchdowns. It's It's a disappointing group of running backs, I'd say. Especially um, coming off this rookie class, right? Like, mm-hmm. you just got Najee and Javante, and now mm-hmm. you've kind of got, yeah, you know, they're cool, not great, though. Go ahead, Jake. Uh, Brees Stahl still ran for 1,400 yards and 20 touchdowns, 5.8 yards per carry. That is so, crazy. Um, In the Big 12. I think it, true. 
I think overall it's a fairly decent class. Obviously the quarterbacks are the headliners and they're going to bring yeah. it all down a bit. Um, but just going from the positions that I like to watch the most um, in the secondary, I don't think it's particularly strong as it has been in recent years. Uh, safety overall might be a little bit stronger, it seems, but I think cornerback is definitely not as deep, um, especially not as good as the top. I mean, I think there's maybe what three, maybe four first rounders. Maybe you have someone like uh, McDuffie or Darian Kendrick, maybe just based on traits kind of go up uh, as we right. go through the process. Right. Um, as Hank mentioned, running back, I do think there's a lot of guys that are interesting, though. I mean, someone like Hassan Haskins for Michigan has really put himself on the map. Uh, the senior running back, um, you know, Britton Brown for UCLA. He's a guy that's uh, late. And then Brian Robinson, too, from Alabama. Yeah. Um, and then wide receiver, of course, is just completely stacked. So overall, I think it's a fairly solid class. You're just not going to have the quarterback headliners. And I think um, the more casuals, if you will, will say that it's overall a weaker draft class because of that. Right. I'm going to go, I'm going to highlight the so tight end position. Sorry, Trey, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but... No, no, go ahead. Obviously, my guy, Trey McBride, 2021 Mackey Award winner. He's he's incredible, and he's going to translate so well at the next level. Really stoked that he was able to win it. Team DNVR athlete, so shout out to us for having him on our team. Um, but there's, there's a ton of really good tight ends. I mean, Cole Turner at Nevada, six foot six, just a matchup nightmare. He's going to be if you get him in the right situation, it could just be such a versatile red zone weapon. They've got Julio Billingsley at Alabama. You've got Weidermeyer at Texas A&M. Yeah. Kohler at Iowa State. I mean, I, th- I think all of these guys are going to be really solid. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if we had five, six tight ends going the first 90 picks. Like there, There's a lot of really good talent at that position. And, and I would agree with Jake that uh, along with quarterback, I think it's it's pretty thin at corner. If, if you don't get one of these top guys, obviously some people will flash at the combine and all that, but not super impressed with the talent at the position. And even the top guys, starting with Stingley, you're taking some risks. You're kind of having to turn a blind eye to some inconsistencies or deficiencies. And this, I mean, this is an alarm. We were sounding closer to five, six years ago of like, holy cow, guys, the amount of talent at edge that's coming in is just overwhelmed, like three X more than the amount of talent that's coming in at offensive tackle. And it's creating an imbalance at all levels. I think we're kind of starting to see that with wide receiver versus cornerback. And we were coming off some really deep, insane cornerback classes. And already last year, we were lacking a bit in depth. This year, it's starting again. I like highlighting that. I like what Hank said. It definitely isn't a flashier class because of the backfield, right? Backfield is always going to give you the headliners and you don't have a real headline quarterback and you don't have a real headline running back. You don't have that Zeke Elliott um, of the class, right? Uh, But the wide receiver group is going to tick up a lot. The offensive tackle group isn't quite Tristan Wirfs. Uh, Andrew Thomas, Mackay Becton. Who's the Bama guy in that one? Andrew Thomas? No, no, no he was no, George from a few uh, years Willis, ago. Willis. Yeah, I was, was going to say, I didn't Willis. think it was. Yeah. Jarek Willis. It's Jedrick. not quite Crazy. a Jedrick, thank you. It's not quite at that level, but it might be a little deeper 
And then actually some of those tackles are going to be moved to guard and you're going to have the highest ranked center we've seen in a really long time Mm -hmm. and some really highly ranked guards. I think that's where maybe where this draft gets confused with 2013, um, where that draft was entirely O-linemen at the top, but where it really differentiates itself is at wide receiver and it's at all the wide, uh, it's, you know, the depth of, talent not just offensive tackle and guard but um all over and then yeah it's the defensive trenches we haven't seen an interior defensive line draft like this in a minute between jordan davis leal um even guys like hutchinson who you think you could put more weight on that frame maybe uh you know you've talked about it hank how thibodeau's more of a hand in the ground obviously these guys are edge guys but I think you have a lot of dudes who can who can have an impact in the defensive trenches and the linebacker group is really stud-like. So O-line, wide receiver, and the f- defensive front seven really has me excited, especially the edge rushing class. Hmm. That's where you see a ton of highlights. That's where you're going to see at least probably two of the top three picks are going to have come from that position. You might see another couple in Karlaftis. Um, and, I mean, it's just going to go down the line where guys like Drake Jackson might be available in the late second. And he's still going to be like an absolute stud. So yeah. Hutchinson versus Thibodeau for number one is a conversation at this point. Uh, Oh, absolutely. It was a conversation last episode. I think in the eyes of some, it's a done deal game match. He showed up in the biggest moments. Like, that's the one thing that really, I think, differentiates between the two is he's had a couple of really big games. I'm not trying to down him or anything like that, but every time I watched Oregon in a primetime game, I kept waiting to be like, where's the three-sack Thibodeau game? You know, where's the four-tackle for loss Thibodeau game? And Hutchinson had like five of them. Yeah, uh, Draft Network finally updated the rankings. Number one overall prospect, Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, both ESPN guys who published new rankings this week had Hutchinson one. Um, yeah, I hear you. I do think we're getting a little too caught up in that narrative with Thibodeau. Um, it is the Pac-12 championship where he blew up USC and had that game where everyone was That's a good going, point. Oh yeah. my God, consensus number one. USC was ranked 13th at that time. I'm a little surprised Crazy. Um, with Keaton. So, and again, NFL offensive tackle. And I would say Hutchinson's a guy I was hyping up last preseason before the start of 2020. Mm-hmm. One good game, but not really much, much else. Thibodeau has three years of double digit sacks, right? Um, well, that's a good point. Yeah. We were like, I'm, I'm piling on a little too much. I've been waiting, you know, and then all of a sudden he comes around and then he has a good season and then he blows up the last two months and he's going to be a Heisman finalist, which I knew you wanted to get into, um, Justin. So we could, uh, there's your transition, Phil. I just want to know real quick before we go who is everybody's biggest Heisman snub? And out of these finalists, CJ Stroud, Hutchinson, Bryce Young. Who do you see winning? I'm, I missed one of the finalists. Uh, who did I miss? I missed Pickett. Pickett. Kenny Pickett. I can't believe Kenneth Walker isn't in. Um, yeah. He's definitely the biggest. He had bigger Heisman moments than anyone, but who will win it, which is Bryce Young, who 
we, the thing we, is though a lot of those people vote before the conference championship games which is so stupid but you can actually turn in your Heisman ballot before that so it's the old Christian McCaffrey yeah so right. I, I mean Kenny Pickett wouldn't be shocking but I feel like it's Bryce Young it's definitely Bryce Young I, I can't imagine and with Kenneth Walker like the reason he didn't get in is that Ohio State game and they it's probably way 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 so overweighted back. Right. oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> like yeah. he doesn't deserve it like and cuz especially we were talking weeks ago a month ago about just who who can be hot down the stretch you know he goes for 136 yards 143 138 four touchdowns in those three games but right in the middle of all that 6 for 25 against Ohio State in a 56-7 loss that's the one that people were watching and yeah, it's that's that's kind of it for him, um, which I mean, is it's probably about, dumb. It's dumb. How about I mean, I know Hutchinson got all the hype and stuff, but I mean, Will Anderson had another great year, too. And that's he, what I was gonna throw out. Yeah, yeah, just as good, if not better. But that's the problem. When did Will Anderson have like his four sack game? Once that was ago. LSU, LSU, it's been a bit. So Hutchinson's yeah. the hot name now, and it, it just like if that was Bama, LSU from two years ago, you know, where they're both right. top three ranked teams, or even if LSU's like ranked in the top 20, that was a close game. He made all the difference in the world. I'll also throw Devin Lloyd out. That Stanford game is the best game any defenders had, not just this year, but in many years. Um, and, you know, on top of that, like, doesn't he have a pick six in the Pac-12 championships? Like, he's just been yep. consistently and amazing every season. Frank, I would not have been upset or disappointed at all if it was Bryce Young with Devin Lloyd, Hutchinson, and Will Anderson. Well, And, I mean, then you probably start to say, oh, Jordan Davis and Kobe Dean got snubbed. Like, Ajogbo yeah. was the better Michigan edge for, like, half of the big games they played this season. And it's... I, with uh, with Will Anderson, part of the struggle is he just didn't put up many numbers in the beginning of the season. Like three sacks in seven games to start the year. Three sacks in six games to start the year. Part of it is absolutely because they played USM, whoever that is, and they played Mercer, and so he wasn't even on the field. But it, the, the, the numbers are what the numbers are, and people are going to look at that. And I'm not saying like Bama should be scheduling tougher opponents. There's no reason to. Like you, you have an SEC schedule, your resume is plenty tough enough. But if those were games against Michigan and Ohio State up there, Will Anderson probably has better numbers, and he's putting those numbers up against good competition. His, his, a lot of his production came later in the season, second half of the season, and it kind of tailed off toward the end, so you're not talking about the, the big numbers either. Yeah, good point. And to that, I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, Jamison Williams, there were some really dynamic wide receivers this year, and of course the quarterback's going to get David Bell. Most of the praise. Mm -hmm. David Bell, too. But, I mean, I mentioned if Drake London stays healthy, man, he was a Pac-12 Offensive yeah. Player of the Year, played only seven games. Um, if he played a whole year, I mean, I'm sure USC makes a lot more noise, and he obviously has a lot more uh, increased stats. But um, some of these wide receivers are literally carrying their teams, and they don't get that respect. 1,400 yards, 15 touchdowns for Jamison Williams. Average 20 yards a catch. The dude was money. Well, in that final six games, Auburn aside, he is absolutely freakish. But that, that's kind of the problem. It, I think we just circled around it, and especially Hank with talking about Kenneth Walker and Will Anderson. 
and stuff. It's so hard to win it now if you're not a quarterback yep. because you have to be like consistently great and you really have to dominate in those big games, those big moments to get yourself a Heisman moment. And Bryce Young just had to be very good all season and then have that one drive right. against Auburn. And then, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that, that, um, the voting, the people voting prior to the conference championship plays into this. Cause if that's the case, Hutchinson might have a real case. Like Hutchinson has to beat out CJ Stroud. It's basically a head to head. It's just so hard for a defense. I mean, if, if Sue couldn't win the Heisman, I just have a hard time seeing any defender actually do it. I know it's possible. And like we, we saw Devonta Smith break that glass ceiling. So there, you know, it, it can't happen until it does. So we'll see. But I, I mean, Bryce Young, I mean, 43 touchdowns, four picks this year, 4,322 yards, 68% completion. That's but, tough to argue. It would literally take voters voting too early and like some kind of screw up like that for it to happen. Or like some really weird, like, well, we don't want another Bama guy to get it or, or something like that, which I mean, there, there are probably voters like that out there. And I'm, I'm sorry, it's kind of a cheap argument, but it's what Bryce Young did this year isn't too different than what Mac Jones or Tua did the past few years, though. Like, it's Alabama. You're going to be able, if you can just get the ball to the guy, you're going to be able to put up some massive numbers. Um, so, I mean, not to take away from Bryce Young, that's what I, that's not what I'm trying to do, but I'm just saying that context does matter. That's a fair argument. I mean, yeah, I think he's, he's stepped into a system that's had quarterbacks be nothing but successful for a half decade now. Yeah, I mean, but same with the Oklahoma guys who were winning it back-to-back years, you know. Right. Or CJ Stroud at Ohio State or like any of these. You're just walking into a good situation. But I, I guess my point is we don't want the award to just be the best quarterback out of Alabama, yeah. Ohio State, Clemson every year. It just, just takes away the luster from the award. So it would is, Kenny Pickett yeah. be your guy? If you if Jake Schwanitz gets to pick the Heisman, it's a dictatorship out of these guys uh, who you, well, I mean, I'd go Aiden Hutchinson one, probably pick it two, then Bryce Young, honestly. If I had my personal ballot. Hank? I think it's Bryce Young. It is crazy. I just pulled up the Mac Jones stats to compare. And, I mean, they're very similar. Remarkably similar. At the same time, though, like, it's... He did what he did. And sure, he had a lot of help, but it's it's Bryce Young. Trey? Yeah, after the SEC championship, I felt like he won it definitively. I felt like that was the Heisman moment of the season. Um, and just a, a class above the rest when you're able to do that to... Honestly, in some ways, coming into that week, I almost would have wanted to give the Heisman to like the Georgia D-line. Um, right. But him doing that to Georgia is just next level, man. So... I do think he won it. And honestly, I'd have like Hutchinson too and not the guys they've got in New York with the rest of them as my three and fours. You know, I think I really would have ended up giving Kenneth Walker the third spot and, um, you know, maybe a split vote between Devin Lloyd and Will Anderson for that that fourth. But I again, Jameson Williams definitely deserves to be in that conversation as well. Well, I think we pretty much covered it all. Go ahead. 
Mac have better numbers than Bryce Young. 77% completions to 68. 4,500 yards to 4,300. Mac have 41 touchdowns, four interceptions. Bryce Young have 44 and one. Mac was also in like his third year in the system versus Bryce Young coming in. Yeah, that's true. True. Uh, But a lot of people last year too, even when Devontae Smith was announced as a winner, were saying, well, Mac Jones should have been at least invited. I mean, there was a lot of campaigning for Mac Jones around this time last year. It so much of that plays into perception as reality. Um, and it's what Mac Jones has really dealt with in a lot of ways. But he was never even thought of as like a real prospect until like a month and a half in. You know, it was more like, oh, look at this game manager at Bama making things work. Like right. he was thought of much closer to Stenson Bennett. And then you had to recalibrate, you know, but did he have that Heisman moment? You know, it did feel like Devontae kind of captured those Heisman moments a little yeah. more. On passes from Mac Jones, which is crazy, but if they're all to Devontae, that means something. But it's, it is, I don't know. Jake has a good point. To, you know, the catches you make and the plays exactly. you make after the catch, too, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you give us your final Justin? It, it, yeah, it's got to be Bryce Young. I wouldn't have had Stroud in New York because I think if you're not, if Kenneth Walker isn't there, why is Stroud there? Because neither of them ended up winning the Big Ten. I just think you can use the same argument. I know that Ohio State won that game head to head, but I I don't know. I just I, I wouldn't know. have him. I would have rather had Anderson, Devin Lloyd, Williams, Jordan Davis, like any of those guys. I think would have been better picks. I think that we'll get used to these quarterback numbers eventually. Like, I think, I mean, what? It's every year now somebody's having 40-something touchdowns and less than five interceptions, typically multiple of them. Still, you see that and you say, I mean, imagine five years ago seeing a quarterback complete 71% of his passes for 3,900 yards, 38 touchdowns, five interceptions, and being ranked whatever Ohio State is ranked. Like, that guy wins the Heisman five, 10 years ago. Now we just see those guys come and go and I think that within a couple of years, we'll be like, yeah, this, the, the, the standard needs to be higher for quarterbacks, although they'll still probably win it. I don't know. I mean, we're talking about him like he's Brandon Wheaton or something. He's not, you know. No, he's solid. I just think that I think the same logic with keeping Kenneth Walker out can also be applied to CJ Stroud. If you're talking about the teams that, you know, like actually made it to the championship, Michigan, I feel like that's what got Hutchinson in along with the, dominant run down the stretch, but it's all semantics. It's going to be a quarterback that that ends up winning it because it's a quarterback award. I think, uh, you know, I really think Strout kind of gets the edge because he had so many wide receivers. You could also have made a case for any of his wide receivers who all had big games, you know, uh, hyphen name had the big game against Nebraska. Olave went off against Purdue. Right. And, um, Wilson, Wilson was just Wilson, solid all Wilson year. Wilson had some massive games as well this year. Um, so, you know, they kind of they kind of hurt each other while Strout was at the helm, consistently dominating with those guys. But yeah, after what Hutchinson did to that offense, you can't really give it to him head-to-head. But Kenneth Walker did beat Hutchinson and run over all over that Michigan line. Uh-huh. So I think it's a good point. I, he's definitely the biggest snub. I think if you when it what it boils down to just when you look at his production and, and all that. But there were uh, there were a lot of impactful players in college football. It was a fun season. 
it's going to be a fun bowl season. I'm looking forward to previewing it with you guys. Looking forward to diving into all this pre-draft stuff. I mean, other people are, are winding down when it comes to college football. The, the draft season is just heating up. So thank you to everybody listening to this podcast. We are, of course, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. We'll be back next week. Stay warm out there. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com